Much more bounce. Relax your mind, let your country be free, and get down to the beat of the PMP. <laughs> and if you're tired, then go take a nap. Look at his face right there. That's Roger. One man on a mission. And stop him. Just listen. Ooh, my first rhyme. <laughs> first rhyme after all these years hello we're back with our second episode episode two of enchilada casserole with felipe esparza and lisa esparza or lisa and felipe esparza or mrs felipe esparza <coughs> you know i never wanted to take my husband's name when i was younger because uh i didn't like that my grandmother sometimes got mail that said Mrs. and her husband's name. And I was like, I don't understand that. Where, where's your name? Like she just disappeared. Your name just disappears when you get married. Mrs. Felipe Esparza. Isn't that weird? I don't know. <laughs> you never have to think about it because you're the guy. But uh, has, has, the, has the guy ever taken the girls? Yes. I've known guys who've done that. And I've known people, I've known couples who combine their names into one but I mean, name. So, so we have a listener say, what is that? I can't repeat that, ma'am. What is it called? You want me to repeat that? Pussy? Is that called a pussy? <laughs> a guy who no. takes his girl's name? Pussy? No. Ah. It's not like I'm saying it's, he's a <laughs> pussy. It's like, it's like, it's like we say it, it's like we retweeting it. It's like we retweeting it. <laughs> No, I don't think that person, that makes them a pussy. It's just, you know, we are a, what you call a patrilineal society in this Patrilineal rasa. That means uh, that we take on the father's name. We pass that along. What does that mean, patro? Patro, like father. Patrinoli. Lineal. Our lineage is tied to our father. Patrinolia. Patrinolio. But um, most societies around the oh, world yeah, like, are patrilineal, like, but... Like my father, like like if I were to tell my dad, yeah, dad, um, <laughs> he would just laugh. Your at fucking you. last name has got to be nowhere, goddammit. <laughs> I like your last name; it's a strong last your name. Your fucking last name has got to be nowhere. <laughs> I've gotten I've gotten so far with Esparza. This last name has caused me nothing but pain and agony, and like that burn after reading. So I'm gonna just start fresh. I've gone as um, far as I can go with this name. I'm gonna go for. Oh, Daniel May. May is my middle name. You wouldn't take my middle name. I'll be Felipe <laughs> May O'Daniel. <laughs> Stupid. They already call me that anyways when I go to when I go to the Ralph's. Oh, because of my Ralph's number? They look at me. <laughs> and they, Mr. O'Daniel. <laughs> they look at me and oh, go, thank you, Mr. O'Daniel. <laughs> and I say, thank you, Shirio. Thank you, Felipe. For real, they go. That's funny. That's funny when um, we were at Vons and that big-ass Mexican lady, and it was Felipa. Yeah, Felipa. Isaac always was shocked by that. Her name is Felipa. Man, she was my, my twin sister. <laughs> Her dad wanted a boy. Felipa. That's another thing. Is huh? that a real name, Felipa? Felipa. You ever heard that? But that's like your it's mom. That's like your mom, Rafaela. I never heard a woman named Rafaela. You think that's made up? It's 
common. It's, Rafaela is common? I don't know. The first one I know, original. Do you think she named your brother Rafael because she wanted a junior? I don't know, man, but that sounds good. That's, her, that's sticking it to your dad, right? Probably. I get a junior. You got Felipe. You got Felipe, kind of. You're kind just of. a De Jesus. You're just, De that's, Jesus. you're just a middle name. Yeah, I never thought about it like that, you know. <laughs> Vendetta. <laughs> well, it's the last one, you know. I know, but... Um, and their marriage was kind of, eh, you know. That's probably... At the time. That's probably true what happened, huh? I'm just assuming. You're going to be... Stirring up shit. You're going to be Rafaela Jr. <laughs> Rafael Jr. Rafaela Jr. Yeah, you're Rafaela Jr. You're a boy. We'll call you Rafael. That's like that girl that was in that movie, Deborah Baker Jr. Yeah. You know, my mom... I my, never... Women put... White ladies put Jr.? I've never heard of that. But somebody said to my mom, you should make her Sandy Jr. She's like, I hate the name Sandy. She hated her name. So she would never make me a junior. But then she thought that was so stupid to make a junior. But then I asked her, I said, well, what... Why do guys get to have juniors and girls don't? But Deborah Baker Jr. in your movie was the first girl I've ever met who actually had junior... In her name. Wasn't the girl in 16 Candles a junior too? Who? Molly Ringwald? Yeah. No. Remember when the Baker Jr. Her name was Samantha Baker. Oh, yeah? I thought she was a junior. No. I don't think so. I don't think so. I've seen that movie a million times. I, I don't thought think. she was Samantha Baker Jr. No. Are you talking like her grandfather or yeah. something? No, I don't I think so. I thought he said so. junior when they were squeezing her cheeks. I don't know. I have to watch it again. I need to watch that movie. Is that something a lot of, a lot of um, white families do, man? Never like heard your, of it. Your uncle just, and your grandma just, your, your uncle and your aunt just look at you and your aunt squeeze your boobs in front of your uncle and go, so look at her, she's growing. No, not, none of that ever happened in my family. My family never talked about sex, ever, ever, ever. Ever. <laughs> it was not uttered in the Ours house. Ours was just, don't pee on the bed again. <laughs> we never talked about sex. Anytime it came on TV or, you know, in movies or whatever, my mom would change the channel. Really? Yeah, I kind of do that to Isaac. You know, I really, um, I protect what he's seeing. Not necessarily as far as violence and stuff, but he knows how movies are made, you know. But I don't want him getting the wrong idea about sex yet. Because he's still so young, he's only eleven. So I don't want to shape the way he sees sex and people having casual sex. You know, I don't want it to seem so casual yet. He won't understand what's going on. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's carryover from my mother. I don't really know. What would be too much? Um, too much? Um, like when they say PG thirteen, what would be too much sex for eleven year old? See. A nine-year-old, ten. When, is, when do they start noticing? Hey. I'd say ten, nine, ten. Nine, ten, because at five, they don't know what they're watching. Huh? No, I mean, we, they just think it's funny. Like, remember Isaac used to laugh at the word penis, and he'd say, yeah. penis, 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 and he'd like to say yeah. penis all the time. And I don't want to discourage that. He's learning about the word, and we always called body don't say parts. say that. I'll slap you. Some no, will do that. no. We always called body parts by their real names. Yeah. Because, you know... A lot of kids who... A lot of Mexican kids can be running around going, verga, verga, verga. <laughs> Pinche pito, pito, pito. A lot of kids who are abused, though sexually abused or molested at a young age, they have families where they don't really talk about uh, private parts 
and they don't want their kids talking about it, you know, or they, they just call them private parts or they just call them, you know, I don't even know. They don't even talk about the real words. They don't use the real words for them. So I wanted to give him the right language to use in case somebody did ever touch him or something, you know? Yeah. My parents never said nothing. They just degrade us, like, trying to grab our penis. Your parents did that? Yeah, like, you don't mess around. Like, what you got there? What you got there? Oh, no. And I'd be like, nothing. Like if you had a, a boner or, or something? Or nothing, I don't know. Yeah, like that, uncomfortable. That's like Jenny Jones. Remember Jenny Jones, the talk show Artist. host? Well, yeah, she got that after, but she it's always talking. had a complex about her breasts because they were little, and her dad had pinched them. And said, they're just not going to grow, huh? And like would make fun of her <laughs> being flat chested. And when are they going to grow? Oh, fuck, if my dad, if anybody in my family ever touched me like that, I'd go off on them. I couldn't believe that he did that to her. But she always had a complex from that. And then, you know, she wanted. Satisfied dad. Yeah. Yeah, we opened up the, the episode with Zap and Roger. Zap and Roger, they're from Dayton, Ohio, which we're. Lisa Esparza's from. Yeah, but they are also the West Coast Sound. The West Coast Sound. Everybody knows Roger and Zap over here, man. Yeah. That's so strange, you know. I told you. Go ahead. That was my breakdancing. (laughs) Kids MC was born to that song. (laughs) But yeah, I told you that before that I was surprised when I came out here and everybody's blasting. They're huge. Zap and Roger out here. Like, oh my God. All sorts of funk. But Zap, my first exposure to Zap was when I was in Girl Scout camp when I was sixth grade, 12 years old. And we had a counselor, uh, one of the women, she was, they were all real butch. Uh, I don't know if they were all gay, but they were all very butch, all the counselors. And one of them was named Zap. That was her nickname. Zap. And she was a big black woman with a huge afro. It was the coolest afro I've ever seen. And uh, and I asked her what Zap meant, why that was her name. She said, you don't know Zap? And she starts singing some of the songs, and I didn't know Zap. But um, I thought she was cool. But she told me all about them. And she said, yeah, they're from here. They're from Dayton. And I told my mom, I said, do you know Zap? And she said, yeah, there's some disco band. And my mom didn't know the difference between funk and disco. She just, she hated disco. I know that. She liked Motown and stuff, but she hated disco. So she lumped them into the- She had a tattoo that said, disco sucks. <laughs> well, my first album was Donna Summer on the radio. And I bought it with my own money when I was little. And uh, I loved Donna Summer. <coughs> I was so into Donna Summer. Donna heard her name <laughs> on the radio. She was so awesome to me. And to me, when she had her variety show- I thought she was like my second mom. I thought that was the mom I was supposed to have. Donna Summer had a variety show? Yeah, with her daughter, and she sang and did little sketches and stuff. That was before She Works Hard for the Money. This that, She Works Hard for the Money was really her comeback in the 80s, you know. It was. She was a disco queen, but then she had the variety show. But anyway, uh, she had, uh, so that was my first album, and my mom and I had battles over Disco's Dead and Disco Sucks and Disco lives, and it, that was me. Disco lives. I just liked to dance to it, and I liked her voice. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, so Zap and Roger, um, they're from my hometown, and he had his number first number one hit on the pop charts with "I Want to Be Your Man" in eighty. 80- 
Did they have a big funeral? I don't remember. I think I was in New York, but I came back like a year after he had died. But yeah, anyway, so that's my Roger story. Zapped. Yeah. Oh, 99 he was killed. So yeah, I was living in New York already. Larry Troutman, his brother. Murder-suicide. They still go on tour, right? They do. Uh The the kids? Some of his other brothers. brothers. Yeah, there's a couple other brothers, I think. When I used to do shows in in Planet Gemini, in Monterey, California, with um, Anthony Lane and his brother, the Lane brothers, Anthony and Tony. What's the other brother's name? Uh, Anthony Lane. Anthony and... They're Italians from Toronto. I don't know his name. Anthony and Joseph, whatever. They had a... a, um, Zap used to perform there once a year. Really? At that little place? Yes. The one in Monterey. In the 90s? The club that was in Canary Row. Wow. There was a different club, and there was a picture there of Roger and Zap together. Because they used to just be Zap. Then after his number one hit, then it became Roger and Zap. Because he he still kept touring with the band. Because that was still a cash cow, touring-wise. They used to perform as a hop in Lakewood. La Puente, yeah. Maybe that's how they got the California... Maybe that's where the California car sound... Or um, that's how they got affiliated with the California sound, West Coast sound. In the first lowrider, I think, I don't know, that... uh, it was Ice Cube. I don't know. Could, could be wrong. He was doing an interview and he said the first time he saw like he heard he saw a lowrider. They, they were playing Roger and Zap. Mm. That's cool. More bounds to the. End. Here's the story from MTV back when it happened. Brothers Roger and Larry Troutman, two of the founding members of the early '80s funk outfit Zap, early '80s. We're shot dead Sunday morning outside a studio in Dayton, Ohio, in what local authorities are investigating as a possible murder-suicide. According to the Associated Press, Roger Troutman was found by Dayton police after being shot several times in the torso. He was rushed to nearby Good Sam Hospital but died shortly after. Authorities subsequently discovered the body of Larry Troutman in a car near the studio, dead from a single gunshot wound to the head. Crazy. That's why I don't work with my family. Anyway, so that's it. But yeah, it's, it, my neighborhood was a... Mostly black neighborhood. Mostly black schools. Black? Black. How black? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you want to look at my yearbook? You know how to braid you learn how to braid um black girls' hair, right? I learned how to braid hair. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like I you have like a good my job ed- in county jail, man. <laughs> I like my education. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about people, I learned a lot about race. I learned a lot about black history where I don't think I I would have learned that in other schools as much as I did. You're going to make noise with that. Were you like the only white girl in a class? Sometimes. That's weird, man. There were probably... You were like... There were probably like... I want to say like maybe 30 white kids in the whole school, but I didn't know them all. In my grade, there were maybe 15 in my grade, 10. There were a few of us. But it didn't really matter, you know. There were some who were more like, 
uh, I guess what say white trash types, you know, it, it mattered to them. I noticed they talked a lot about race. They felt they felt oppressed. Who did the white people? Certain white people. It was really it really was a flip of it was a role reversal. There were um, a couple times where there were what they would call race riots in our school. I, we, I went to I went to one of the first schools that, to ever have metal detectors in the United States. And um, my last bling bling in that <laughs> my last year they started. Uh, my last year there was my junior year, and they started metal detectors. That was eighty nine, and then I switched schools, and that school didn't have metal detectors. My school was unlocked. Uh, like you, mean the, the, you were allowed to come out. My high school, no, it was it wasn't open, but the 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 gates were locked. Well, the, the gate was locked, like you could walk in and out. But you know, you know, like sometimes there's a building, there's a hallway, and that door leads to outside. Yeah, that door was unlocked. Oh no! No, they wasn't locked. Like if I like if there were like if there was a, there was a fire, mm-hmm. we could all run out that door. Oh no! You know. So, if I wanted to leave school, I'd just go out that door. And that's always did it. You know, in Stand By Me, when they got in trouble for locking the doors, yeah. and we had locked doors. And I had just seen Stand By Me and... Not, was it called Stand... No. Was it Stand By Me? Lean On Me. Lean On Me. <laughs> Stand By Me. I'm thinking of the other movie. Tina Stand in the Liver. And the other Early. movie, yeah. Easy, easy, easy. <laughs> uh, Lean On Me. The doors were locked, and that's how our school was. Our principal, th- I think he thought he was... Uh, Joe, I think he thought he was him. I, he was like making a point. Crazy Joe. We had real police officers as security guards on our floors. You know, there were no hall monitor students or anything like that, uh, or even teachers walking in the hall. You couldn't go to the bathroom without a reason and a pass and approval, and yet and it expired at a certain time. I mean, it was like jail. It felt like jail. It was very wow. Bad. It was very. There was bad. a hall pass with a time limit on it. Yeah. We if you get caught those. beyond that time limit, That's you'd go to the princi- they'd take you to the principal's office or whatever, you know. But they were real cops because we had had violence. We'd had people bringing guns and, and weapons to school. And, um, you know, it was bad. But I, I feel like, you know, I look back on those years and I, I met some really great people. And honestly, all the black kids that I grew up with, they're now professionals. A lot of them work for TV news in Ohio and Indiana, um, news channels, and uh, engineers, nurses, teachers, professors, like they're all professionals, you know, they're all doing something. And they were, a lot of them were members of uh, fraternities and sororities when they got to college. Most of them went to historically black colleges and universities. And uh, I know a lot of great people. I think if I was a boy, it would have been harder to grow up, I guess, as a white boy in a mostly black school. Your there's brother more, didn't go to the school you were they at? They did. They did, but I don't think I checked in with them a lot to see how things were. But they hated school. They were they, right. <laughs> they hated school. They had a few friends, and they did fine. But by the time they got to high school, I was out of high school. And then my mom moved out of my grandmother's house and she moved um, out on her own into a suburban area and then they switched schools their last couple years of high school. So it was probably more white or Asian in that area. Asian? 
Yeah, I remember we're near the Air Force Base. We talked about that last time, so. Did we? Yeah, we did. <laughs> but there are, um, they're, you know, some half Asian kids from a lot of the Asian and white military marriages through the Air Force. There were a lot of, um, I wouldn't say a lot. There were some Vietnamese, there were some Koreans and Japanese. And there were usually military wives or grandmothers that had come with um, the servicemen back to the U.S. Boring conversation, sorry. It's not boring, I'm listening. <laughs> we're all listening. We're at the Enchilada Casserole Podcast. Anyway, speaking of race and ethnicity, oh, I wanted to read, okay, we did DNA tests. We talked about that last week, right? We talked about, we were, yes, we talked about doing them. But we didn't talk about the results. You should read mine, and I'll well, read yours. Well, first, okay, you read yours first. Well, you read mine, and I'll read yours. Oh, okay. But I want to read something that my dad emailed me a few years ago. I'll read it. Not read it. Maury Povey. Well, that's <laughs> test, Dad. Let me see that. You see yours? Okay, hold on. Oh, okay. That's a different letter for next time. This email was, uh, oh, here's what I know about, okay, my grandmother. Lena is her name. Lena Horn. I think I met her one time. All I can remember is a flash of this older lady dancing in the living room. And she had white curly hair. And uh, I don't remember her face. I still don't know what she looked like. But anyway, he said, uh, this is what he thinks he knows. Because my dad never knew his real dad. He definitely is not biologically, well, he's not fully related to his brothers and sisters. You've seen pictures of him, right? Completely different looking. Different from his um, dad, the O'Daniel dad, right? Anyway, he says, here's what I know about my mother, your grandmother. A big surprise for me was discovering how much I am not Irish, not one iota. The history was an epiphany. This is my dad's email. Your dad said he's not Irish? Not one iota. At her funeral, different members of my, my siblings stood and spoke of what they had discovered and remember. Altogether, it goes like this. My mother's mom was a half-breed Cherokee who died giving birth to her. The only living relative she had was her uncle. He cared for her till she was nine, and at that time decided he was over that and traded her for a shotgun. She was then used and abused. White slavery was overlooked because she was a half-breed, and there really weren't laws against that back in 1910. Not in the backwoods, anyway. She was traded for different stuff to several different farms and finally landed on the Elkins farm. Not sure what he traded her for, but she was 13 at the time. He had a son about the same age, and the end result was that she became pregnant. Being embarrassed about the whole thing, but not wanting to force his son into a wedding with her because of her past, he decided to adopt her so she would have their last name. When she was 14, she met Jesse, my grandfather, by name, O'Daniel, who was living in a houseboat on the river at the time. He said he'd marry her, and they got a large farm from from Jesse's uncle to work on. She never stepped into a school once, yet she taught herself how to read and write by studying the school books that the children brought home all by herself. My father was a half-breed Cherokee as well. That's two half-breeds. Two half-breed Cherokees? Yes. Well, wait. Mother's mom was half-breed Cherokee, so my grandmother's supposedly a quarter Cherokee. So then you're, my, you're part book shot. And my father was supposed to be a quarter Cherokee, right? And one of your relatives is a, is a shotgun, right? Yeah. One of my relatives is a shotgun. You get traded yes. for a shotgun, so you have a cousin somewhere that's a shotgun. 
name's Buck. Uncle Buck. <laughs> last name's Shot. <laughs> when they meet, when they met, they had so much in common. This is my dad's father, supposedly, half breed Cherokee. They had so much in common. He was an orphan too. His name was blank. I'm not going to say his name because I'm still not sure about that one. They were deeply in love. She left Jesse, my grandfather, and was going to live happily ever after with him. This is after she's had 12 kids. My dad was number 13. My dad was number 13. Um, My stepfather was so upset by all this. That's the O'Daniel, my grandfather. Mostly by, he was upset by what all the neighbors were saying about the whole thing. So he threatened her with the fact that if she didn't return to him, even though she was eight months pregnant with me, that he was going to put all the kids in foster homes. They had actually come out and picked from the lot who they wanted. The issue was that they were going to separate the two boys, and no one wanted that. That was the only thing holding it up. So my dad, my father, biological father, and my mother decided it would be best for the children for her to return to the family. And I would never know... Until I got older. So the fact is, I'm a mixed breed Cherokee bastard. But there is actually no proof that this guy is my father. The other half of our heritage is supposed to be German, but we are more Cherokee than German. Anyway, I hope that doesn't come as much of, too much of a surprise. Thought I'd share a little bit about her. So your last name, Oh Daniel, really pronounced Oh Daniel, Oh Daniel, Oh Daniel. So read my ethnicity. Your ethnicity is. Any bright lights for this? <laughs> yeah. First of all, read how much Af- how much uh, Indian I am. It's at the very top. Native American. Native American. No, it's at the very top of the second page. We're like Maury Povich here, man. <laughs> the very top. Native American, you are zero percent. <laughs> You're more buckshot. <laughs> Shotgun than you are Native American. <laughs> you are more Smith and Wesson <laughs> Code 45 pistol than you are Native American. <laughs> Asian, 0%. Don't read all of them. Just read now. Jump to what else I am. Because okay. I just wanted to point out the Native American because he thought he was a half breed and my grandmother's a half breed and biological grandfather's a half breed. You are 44 44- you are 47% from Ireland. 47%. You are Irish. You are a little... Almost 50% Irish. Almost 50% Irish. 39% Europe West. Which is France. Iberian Peninsula, 6%. That's like Portugal. And Scandinavia, 30, 3%. Remember I said Scandinavia? 3%. I know. I can't believe you were right on that. Great Britain, 3%. Finland and Northwest Russian. One percent. You're all white. All white. All white. Not one iota Native American. You're West Asia, but it's it's some Caucasus. That's I know. That's basically Caucasus. That's uh, Caucasus. That's Russia. That, that means I'm totally Caucasian. Totally, man. <laughs> Somebody lied to your dad. Sure did. I want to share these results with him. Let's scan them in and, and send them. Um, the region you're from is. And there's no way that he can't be my dad because we look very much alike. I know. So it's not like, well, I'm not your father then. It's not like that. He can't come back with that. We have the same smile. We have the same eyes. Like everything, everything. But he is dark. Dark hair, dark skin. He's always been dark. So it, it's weird, but 
The rest of his siblings are redhead, short, very pale, freckles. We don't look anything like that. Native American, zero percent. Zero point zero. Zero percent. <laughs> Seriously. Not a single drop. And as far as your ethnicity, what have you always known? That I'm just so What Mexican. have you understood Mexican? Well, you're from Mexico. Well, I, I know that my grandfather used to dance. If he wants to. Native. But sometimes he left his friends behind. Tribal dancing. Tribal dancing. And he made his own, made his own cheese or he bought it from somewhere where they made it and he sold it. That has nothing to do with your ethnicity. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> what about your tío Eugenio? I do have a cousin. I do have a, an uncle. He's Mito Eugenio. He's like a real dark, Muammar um, Gaddafi looking motherfucker. Mm-hmm. He's black. And you always thought, since it was near um, Veracruz, right? Yeah. That he was part of those natives and blacks who went into the, like the hills, right? Yeah, to hide. To hide and protect their land. And they were black slaves who left. And um, basically black Mexicans. You want me to read it now? Read it. So what am I? Because Mexican, people say, I'm Mexican, 100%, but it. There's no such thing. That just means you were born. Okay. That means your family line is you're, from you, you Mexico. Were, you were born in Mexico, so you're 100% from that area. Right. But. There's no bloodline. Bloodline. You're not. You can't really pinpoint Mexico. Right. Because everybody in Mexico, most everybody started out as native. You know. And then we're. Well, Irish and German, they're, they're both different type of race, right? Not different type of race. They're all white, but they're in these regions. The bloodlines, the way the ancestry stuff works is they match your blood type or they match your DNA to DNA that's in these other regions, oh. right? Of natives of those other regions. So natives of Mexico are mostly, they should be mostly made up of what you're made up of. Natives of Ireland and Germany. You're all Ireland right here. So yeah, I know. Map. So I match, my DNA matches people who are native Africa, of those areas. Africa, 0%. Zero. <laughs> America, 0%. Yeah, none of the Americas. Okay, so you are 39% Native American. Native American, huh? 39% Native American. I knew it was a warrior. <laughs> I knew it was an Aztec warrior. And then you are 20% Iberian Peninsula, which is Portugal and Spain. So your jokes and your you know, discussions of how natives were basically raped by yes. Spanish, Portuguese sailors, that sort of thing. All the sailors, right? Yeah. That's that's you. The sailors. Uh, you're 11% Italian and Greek. Me la pela. <laughs> Me la pela, cabrón. Uh, Europe West, which is France, 5%. Great Britain, 4%. You're 1% Irish. 1% Irish. 9% Middle Eastern. 9% Middle Eastern. And then, drum roll, 11% African. African people. And that, that I my black ass balls. <laughs> Them shits are black. Them shits are black. I mean, they look like fucking, like, oh, they, they look like um, <laughs> an like eight ball in corner pocket. <laughs> Black. <laughs> you have the black insides of your thighs too. They're pretty dark. Yeah, man. I wonder where that comes from. Well, from being fat. No, from being not eleven uh, percent black, 
African. You think so? 5% from the Mali area in Africa, 2% Africa Southeastern Bantu, 2% Senegalese, 1% Nigerian, 1% Ivory Coast, Ghana. I told you I like to eat fufu. Fufu. <laughs> you had some Nigerian friends that you worked with, right? Yeah. Udole. That was the security jobs you had? Yeah. I've had a lot of Ni- Nigerian friends. They're nice. They were usually here studying to be nurses. Damn, I can't believe that. Nine, 11% black? Yeah. Well, African. African. The region of Africa. But several regions of Africa. There's west, there's southeast, and then there's like central coast. There are two western African uh, nations. It's crazy, huh? That means that... Um, We're going to get Rodrigo to take a test. Yeah. I think tomorrow he'll take it, and then in about six weeks we'll get his results. I was thinking that um, what happened was... It's how I was made. Of. What had happened was. What happened is how I was made. <laughs> My ancestors, originally the rapists, they came from Portugal. The dads. The dads. The male side. Like, I feel like, it's like that joke I have. Yeah, man. Latino, we're all the same, man. We have the same, the same dad, different mom. This guy ravaged different women, so... Mm-hmm. This guy got, I guess he got the Native American woman. And of course, this kid was born. Then later on, this guy who was a Portuguese guy hooked up with somebody in Africa. Or maybe a slave ship. A slave ship. Whatever had, there, you know, there's a slave ship that crashed in Ecuador and there's this whole section that's all black. And they just started their own little city. How do they get, um, Nine per, 11, how do they find the 11% black? By they didn't say black. It's African. African. How do they know that? Because your DNA, that portion of your DNA matches. Like there's that much percentage of your DNA that matches natives in these regions in Africa. 11% Greek? Uh, there's more than that. It was like, oh, maybe it was 11. Yeah, 11% Greek. And Italian. Italian... That's 20%. Italian, uh, no, 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 sorry, that's Iberian Peninsula. 11% Italian Greek and 20% Iberian Peninsula, which is Portugal and Spain. But you had some Middle Eastern in there too. Which is probably the Moors, you know. Moors. But see, the, the Africans probably traveled, the Africans probably were the Moors and traveled to Iberian Peninsula or Middle East you know, picked up a little bit of the DNA from there. Then that traveled over to Mexico with the natives there and mixed there. So that's probably more likely what happened. Because, you know, there's a constant flow of people across the world back then, traveling across the spice trade and all that. Man, black lives matter now. <laughs> black lives matter now. But yeah, so Mexico, Mexican is not a race. It's an ethnicity. It's from a certain region, but it's mostly... Now, I bet you'd find some Mexican... Now, look at people like Canelo and others, other Mexicans yeah, like Irish. that. They've got to have some Irish or German in them. Yeah. You know, They're still Mexican, but there's no Mexican bloodline. So they don't match. There's probably very little native in him or some other people down there, blonde, blue-eyed Latinos down there. Mexicans down there. Um, but they're still Mexican. doesn't change that they're Mexican at all. 
I'm part sailor. That's your nationality. Part sailor. <laughs> I come in a pinta, the Santa Maria. <laughs> it's exciting. It's interesting. I know what. What was it? Thirty-nine percent Native American. Yeah, thirty-nine. I, I could get my my um, casino or something. My money, right? No. You have, you have to have tribal affiliation. You have to actually... I, I mean, join. I guess you could join and you would have to go through like classes. I'll do and it. I, I know. All I, that I, stuff. I, I'll make a reservation. I'll do whatever I can. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> oh, man. I yes. feel like if, if I sent this to my dad, it would blow his whole new life that he had made up in his head. <laughs> you know what I mean? It blow a, a whole theory... Like he finally, I think, had a little bit of comfort in knowing some of this information, and here I am with the facts. I, I don't know if I should tell him. Then I first started Zydeco band. Zydeco. Zydeco band. If he finds out he's full Irish, I don't he'll know if he's full, but to start doing the river dance. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That fool will get an Irish shirt. How is he? How is he so dark? I got to learn more about the Black Irish people that call it Black Irish. There is Black Irish. There is right? Black Irish. I've met some. But uh, like Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption. No. No, they call me red. I don't mean black, but Black Irish were darker. They were called Black Irish, but I don't know anything about them. I just know I met some. Nothing. I can't believe the uh, Norway, the Scandinavian. I guessed that one. You guessed that one. That's weird. I guess from your feet, you look cold. <laughs> I'm a little Viking people. Yeah. Married to a little Viking lady. Only 5%. 3%. Sorry. Sorry. Do you think about the 39% in America and why I get so fucked up in alcohol? <laughs> no. It doesn't matter, huh? I don't know about that. I don't think so. I think that has to do with the way you're no, raised. Well, no. and Who's more Native American, my mother or my dad? I know. I think your dad doesn't. Your dad is. I think your dad's probably re- got the African side in him, and your mom's got more of the Native side. They both have very strong features, though. Native features, you know, especially your mom, though. Not Mexican, after all. You are. It's, I'm telling you. A Native American from Mexico. Yes, that's what most Mexicans are. I'm going to say that now. Where are you from? <laughs> I am a Native American born in Mexico. Yeah. Which makes me an illegal Indian. <laughs> I am an illegal Native American. So you're actually not illegal. You actually belong here. No, not necessarily. I became illegal. I became an illegal immigrant when I put the border in. Yeah. And when the rest of my tribe said, bye. <laughs> A lot of tribes were split up like that, though, when they put the border down in Mexico. Yeah. You said Mando's family was yeah. split up like that, I right? I was split up. <laughs> my, neighbor, my, my people over there, people in Papagos. People in Papagos. You're not, that's, I'm, I wonder how we could find out what tribe you could affiliate with, you know? Because well, we don't know. Yeah, we should find another Ancestry.com for that. I don't know how to find out what the breakdown is. Well, your family, these people. <laughs> Screw this old family. I'd like to trade you guys. Man, you could do that, man, with your ancestry.com. Yeah, man. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to call up um, um, Roger Esparza. Roger. He's the fourth cousin living in Arizona. I want to trade him 
want to grab him and trade him for my real brother over here who's 100%. <laughs> but I always think that this guy is more, 39% African. We <laughs> would like to trade him. So, I don't know the good news today. What happened? Oh, yeah. You know, I thought you were going to tell it. Well, we went All to right. the doctor. We had our first ultrasound. <laughs> we're eight weeks along. Everything's going well. And we heard a heartbeat. We heard a heartbeat, people. Very strong heartbeat. Strong. No doubt about it. I teared up. It was very emotional. <laughs> I teared up, too. I was trying to hold back. You guys should have seen this, man. Like, as soon as the doctor showed up, like, <clears throat> Lisa had to get all naked and shit. She open up her pussy to the whole world could see. Didn't do, the whole world wasn't there. It was you and him. And the doctor shows up. And I said, all right. Doctor's cool. He don't he don't look like a fucking biker or anything. He's gay, I think. Yeah, he's gay. He has a partner, and they have to adopt he hates a couple pussy, of kids. So <laughs> you're gonna get this done, man. Make sure the doctor's gay, and he hates my pussy, but likes working with it. The guy can't be no biker, you know. No, he's one of the with top. a tattoo that says "Man Sandy" on it, or or Lupe. He's a top obstetrician in L.A. Man, I've been going to him for 13 years. He put, he put that metal rod in you like it was nothing, huh? The speculum Just, for the pap smear. I didn't think I was going to get a pap smear. Oh, my you God. Right. It, was, it was like... Um, it had been too, meant too long since we had results, so he didn't. He put this thing in you inside of the like Terminator's penis. That was the duck bill thing. Duck bill, yes. The one that opened, you mean, when he did what the test? What is that, test? What happened? I told you on the last podcast. That's a speculum. Speculum. It holds open my vagina, and he sticks the swab in, and then he unscrews it. But that pressure is... Really intense. When I had my first baby, when I had Isaac, that's where I felt all my contractions was right there in my cervix. I didn't feel any of my back or my front of my stomach or anything like that. It was all opening the door for like two hours, every other minute, pulling, pulling, pulling. And then, boom, baby was out in 20 minutes. It was very fast. You better be ready. Take charge on that day. You got to be my other half of my brain. I'll be focused on relaxing. That's all I need to focus on. I'll be there with my Slurpee. <laughs> Do we need to get a doula to help somebody to help? I'll be fine. My cousin or something. Or what? I don't know. Help me relax. Help I, got me. The, I got the joke ready. I'm ready material. <laughs> I don't want any jokes. <laughs> Oh, there's going to be a point at which... You want my mom there too? Oh, fuck no. Okay, I don't want anybody. I don't want my mother. I don't want your mother. If anything, I would want to, maybe want to have like Marcella there to like keep an eye on Isaac if he's with me in case he doesn't want to be there the whole time. You know what I mean? So she can take him in and out. <clears throat> Wait, were there a guest list for this? Or what? No, just saying. Oh. Either her or like my cousin, but my cousin has six kids. She's... She's too busy. She can't come by. Damn, six. How old is she? <coughs> I think she's 40. Wow. She just had her last one a year ago. She was at our wedding. She was pregnant. Wow. She really has seven, but one is out in Ohio. The oldest one. But yeah, that, she's Mormon, though. Different lifestyle. So the doctor said that um, about the chance of... Um, 
miscarriage? Well, well, first he prepared us and he said, well, he said, do you feel pregnant? And I said, oh yeah, I have a lot of symptoms and positive pregnancy tests. And then he said, um, you know, with your age, cause I'm going to be 44 next week. Damn. <laughs> he said with your age, there is a higher risk of miscarriage. This is before the ultrasound. And then he said, uh, and there's a higher risk of birth defects. He said, and then he asked us if we had any birth defects in our family. We said, no, none on either side. And then he said, well, if we hear a heartbeat today, then that means your risk of miscarriage drops to less than 2%. So then he put the big camera inside me. That was the big rod. That was the camera. And then that's when we heard the heartbeat too. And we saw the little bean in there. It was fast. It was like. <laughs> it was very loud. It was strong. I thought it was my heartbeat. I was like, oh, that's just mine. Where's the baby's heartbeat? But he was satisfied with that. He was like, yeah, strong heartbeat right there. So yeah, then, I, then I just knew, oh, my God, they're going to have a baby. <laughs> it became more real. Yeah. How do you feel about the testing, though? Yeah. You want to get a little testing? For what? The testing of my blood, this is the non-invasive prenatal testing. We don't have to do it. Depending on what it is? No. I mean, it will have that result on it if we want to see that. But it will show whether the baby has an extra chromosome, meaning Down syndrome, or any other sort of birth defects, genetic disorders. I don't know what you think. I don't know. I mean, it's not going to change. I'm still going to have the baby, even if the results come back positive. But maybe I would be more prepared, you know, in knowing that it's going to need some help, you know? Yeah. Instead of being surprised with it all in one day. Or stressed about it the whole pregnancy not knowing, you know? Yeah. But my chances are higher given my age, but we just heard Rodrigo's relative had a baby naturally, no in vitro or anything like that at 55 years old. 55. 55. It was just natural, good old fashioned way of having a baby. She gave birth to a full grown adult. <laughs> That's crazy, man. 55. Yeah. Joy was, wife was, how old Jody is? 44. 44. Your age. Yeah, my age. And he's, well, it doesn't really matter what the hell the guy is. It's a, it's a matter of your background, right? Matters the background, yeah. I mean, that is a factor. So, um, the background, so, so when a woman, like, a woman gets raped, and of course, you know, there's a, ba there's a, uh, the rapist always has a crazy background, like he has a, he has a, maybe, maybe he was molested or whatever, he the, oh, they're always crazy. I mean, that always. baby's going to be crazy, right? No. No? Not necessarily. Sometimes people's behavior or people's, what you're calling craziness, criminal behavior is a result of their environment. Maybe he was abused or sexually abused and, you know, maybe that's what led to him behaving that way. But that's not in his DNA necessarily. Oh. Now... Mental illness. Mental illness. You know, I didn't mention that. My grandfather on my mom's side, my mom's dad, 
was schizophrenic. Although that's not necessarily a, it's not a birth defect. It's not a genetic disorder. But it does, schizophrenia does run in the family. It usually doesn't show up until you're an adult. It doesn't rear its head. You know, my grandmother, well, I'll get off on a tangent on that story, but... Get off on a bench. <laughs> well, my grandmother told me uh, they were married for 10 years. No kids yet. They couldn't have kids for a while. And I guess he was kind of violent with her occasionally. And she, she called them spells. He'd have a spell, meaning like he became another person. I think that's what she was trying to, how she, what she was trying to describe. Like when you look in somebody's eyes and they're not themselves. Yeah. I don't know if you've known anybody like that, but but he wasn't on drugs or drinking or anything like that. He just had one of his spells. But she said uh, after she had my mom, she was 32 when she had my mom. And uh, that's pretty old for her age. You know, for at the time was 1952. People got married and they're you know, teens and tw- early 20s and have babies right away. Anyway, so right after she had my mom, she's looking out the kitchen window and my grandfather was out in the backyard with the dog. And you know those little stakes in the ground that the dog, you chain the dog to? You know, it like screws into the ground. It's like a yard stake. Yeah. And you put the dog's chain on that little stake and they can kind of run in a circle around that. He's chasing the dog around that stake with a hatchet, and he chopped the dog to death. And my grandmother witnessed it from the kitchen window. After knowing him for 10 years, being married to him for 10 years, and all of a sudden having a baby, thinking everything's going great, and then you see this out the window. That was his first serious, like, psychotic episode, and... I don't even know. I didn't. I don't think I've ever asked her like when, how soon after that he started to like go get diagnosed or you know see what was up because it's a dog back then in the fifties. I don't think they really cared that much about animal cruelty as much as we do today. So I don't know uh, what happened right after that. But two years later, they had my uncle, my mom's brother. She got pregnant again. And at that time, my grandfather was pretty, like having psychotic episodes a lot. It was just increasing. And then I think either she kicked him out or got some sort of restraining order or something like that. And then he was just the rest of his life in and out of institutions. But around that time, you it, they started that law where you couldn't institutionalize anybody. You know, you couldn't like, say, hey, this guy needs to be locked up. And then they'd lock him up because there were laws that let a lot of people out onto the streets, which is why you ended up with a lot of mentally ill homeless people out on the streets back then in the 60s and 70s starting. So um, he was was released, but he would go back in every once in a while, you know, like when it was cold outside. And then other times he'd wander the streets or be homeless or whatever. And I don't think he ever used drugs or anything like that. He just, he was schizophrenic. And he didn't, a lot of schizophrenics don't like to take medication because the way it makes them feel. 
And um, so he, I don't think he ever did. But I remember as a kid being, um, well, what happened after that, sorry, my brother, my, my uncle was um, five and my mom was seven. And my grandmother had gotten remarried or was about to get remarried. And my grand, my grandfather, I guess, was stalking their house. And one night, one night he came and crashed through the living room window <coughs> like a crazy person, like bust through. He just, his whole body just jumped right into the window through the glass and everything. He was all cut up. And he took my uncle hostage with a knife and he cut his throat and he tried to kill my uncle, my mom's brother. My mom's like, up, she took him upstairs and she's taping and she's bandaging his neck. You know, she's seven. And um, the cops were coming and I think, I think my grandmother shot his butt, shot him in the ass is how the rest of the story goes. She had a gun because she was afraid of him, you know. And then, but anyway, so when I was a kid living with my grandmother, when we moved into her house, when I was about 12, 11 or 12, every summer he would write a fucking letter to my grandmother or send a card, a weird, creepy card. And it meant that he was going to start coming around and like hanging around and we didn't know if he's going to be watching us. So we couldn't go outside like the whole summer because we didn't know if he was going to be out there or not. You know, that crazy ruined my summer. Like, why do you have to pick summer? Come around in January. Crazy. God, it's crazy. So there is schizophrenia on that side, but again, that's not a birth defect. It's not something you could test for. I don't think at that Mm. stage. (laughs) So they don't put that on the DNA test. Schizophrenia was psych. It was <coughs> schizophrenic with psychopathic tendencies. But you know what? But your baby will have Native American. <laughs> my baby will. My dad will be proud. Now you have now. But now is zero Native American zero point zero zero percent. You ever disowned a family member? All my life. <laughs> Man, I, I think I think people with big families they need to disown their uh, they need to disown their family at least for five years straight, man, because you need, you need a break from other birthday parties. <laughs> like I was, it was killing me, man. It is a lot Showing of work, up man. Some nephews, grandkids, man. I was trying to get you back involved in that when we got together, you know, trying to get you connected to the family. Because I don't have any family out here at all. None. Except my cousin who just moved out here a few years ago. But a lot of work, man. It is a lot of work. I got to go to one of uh, one of the kids' birthday parties um, at the end of this month. You won't be here. You'll be out of town. Yeah, I'm considering not talking to my mom anymore. But, you know, everybody always says, oh, she's not that bad. She can't be that bad. Yeah, you're the one that's crazy. She's your mom. You only get one. You're going to get one mom. Well, this one's broken. Where do I go to return it? What's broken? My mom. Oh. You only get one. Uh. She's having some issues with my brother, and I don't like the way she's treating him, and 
You know, honestly, I disconnected from her a long time ago. I told you about how she reacted when I told her I was pregnant with my first son. But um, what did she say? I told you. Well, I told on the last podcast. I said when I showed her the sonogram, I was thirty-two, married for ten years, and she said, "No, no, 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 no." She didn't want me to have a baby. I told my daughter that that, that you were pregnant. <laughs> she she texted me back. You think you're ready? <laughs> That's the best line, man. That's hilarious. Are you ready for that? That's funny. Can you handle it? I think you're ready. Are you ready to be a dad this time? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna disown your mom? In a, in a, in a, I, I wrote a letter. a letter. I wrote a letter. I have to read it again. I let it sit for a few days. I'm going to read it again. I don't want it to come just, off just as be, mean. Just be like my sister. Go to her house and break out her windows. <laughs> I my sister did that one time. I'm not sure. My mom said in Spanish, they broke out my windows. <laughs> That's funny, man. When you break your, all your mom's windows with a bat, you're serious, man. With a bat? Yeah. Damn. Bat. I don't know if it was a bat, but it was a gangster. Did your mom say, this is city property? <laughs> you know, you just broke the city. <laughs> yeah, you just opened my mail, lady. I already disconnected from my mom kind of at that point. I mean, after, I, I don't know if I said this on the last podcast, after the that reaction with the baby, I was like, wow, you're kind of crazy. Like, why would you react that way? What other mom reacts that way when their 30-something-year-old daughter who's been married for 10 years decides to have a baby? You say, are you ready? No. She said, no, 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 oh. no. Or like uh, Cleveland, no, 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 yeah, no, no, we no. We talked about that last time. Yeah. Don't you remember? Anyway, so she... She said that, and then, so I kind of, that was my, the first time I distanced myself, although as a teenager, I was pretty much out of there when I was 17. I was like, I'm leaving this place. I couldn't wait to get out. We had issues from day one. But but I always thought, well, it's just me. I'm just being a bad daughter, or I, I don't appreciate my mother, because everybody else says, you should appreciate her. You'll, you'll appreciate her. You'll be sad when she's gone. I think when she dies, I will not be sad. I won't be happy, but I won't be sad, and I will be actually relieved. Because, and that sounds horrible, but I think I'll be more relieved that she um, that it's over for her because she's been miserable her whole life. And I'll talk more about her later, you know, in another episode when I talk more about my dad and her. But um, it's not ready yet. But she, she's uh, she's cuckoo, and the older she gets, the, the worse she gets, and she doesn't see it. And uh, she's treating my brother badly now, and he's taking care of her for so long, and she doesn't appreciate it. And she's pushing him away. <laughs> she's just lost her mind, I think, and not in a way that is normal. She's paranoid, and, and I think it's all karma for what she's done in her life, which, which I'll talk about later, too. But she's, she, um, she's always pushing me away. And when I told her I was getting a divorce from my ex-husband, which ended amicably, it was we had, you know, as friendly a divorce as you could have. We didn't fight and yell and you know, sabotage each other's lives or anything like that. Um. On the phone, I told her I was getting a divorce, and she said, I wonder if you have the same gene your father had that made him want to leave his family. We just checked the DNA, you don't. (laughs) 
that's not in that breakdown. It's not in mom. there, man. But who says that to a child? Who says that? Instead of, oh, Lisa, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, is there anything you need? Is, what, what can I, I'm here for you. You know? You answer her question by telling her that. Anything would have been better than that line she gave me. So that was another distancing of myself from her. And I stopped calling her for a while. But then every like holiday or birthday, Mother's Day, Christmas, Thanksgiving, I just felt obligated to give her a call. But it was torture. It, you, you've seen me around yeah. that time. It's torture to call. And then it's like 6 o'clock. And it's like, oh, it's already 9 over there. I'm not going to bother them. And then the call, the day just passes. And then when I told her I was going to get married to you, you're not going to have any more kids, are you? And that was, that was kind of it. And I didn't talk to her for a year. But not like, it, I never had a, we never had a final discussion like, this is it, I'm not talking to you anymore, don't call me again. We never had any sort of final, finality to it, you know? I just didn't call her again. And then she didn't call on my birthday last year. And I was like, fuck it, I'm not calling her on my birthday. So I didn't call her. Months went by, she didn't call. So maybe that was her way of already telling me she was done with me too. Because she, she found out that I was Facebook friends with my dad. And I think that made her feel I was disloyal to her. But if you knew the real story, which everybody will she, know soon, they'll understand. She probably thinks I'm not, together we're all going to sabotage her. Yeah, maybe. But re in reality, it's just we're all growing up and trying to become better people and you know, learning more about ourselves and healing old wounds. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I think wrong. that's what people should do. She never did that. She held on to those wounds like a comfort blanket, you know. She wraps herself in those old wounds. She loves that pain, misery, misery. She loves it. She loves to complain. Damn. Damn. It's just grief. I don't need it. It's toxic. And while I'm pregnant with this child, I don't want any of that. I want to think about that. I'll send her this letter, and that's going to be the end of it. And my brother and I can be, you know, on our own. I don't, I'm on my own anyway. I've been on my own since I was 17. I never needed her help. She never was like a mom anyway, so whatever. I'm talking this whole podcast. You haven't talked at all. I'm listening. <laughs> I said stuff. <laughs> you said some stuff. I just feel like I'm monopolizing the conversation. It's the engine of the casserole. The casserole is too much casserole today. So I so saw that OJ trial. The OJ show. OJ show. Oh, my God. I'm into it. Okay, people. I'm into it until they show Cuba. Oh. You don't like Cuba Gooding Jr.? He's all right, but he's not OJ. I can't suspend disbelief and think that he's OJ. I know, man. I keep thinking, man, I'm watching um, um, radio. <laughs> Everybody else looks so much like their oh character. Oh, my God. Sarah Paulson, right? She's Marsha Clark. Is her name Sarah, yeah, Paulson? Sarah Paulson? She's awesome as Marsha Clark. She's awesome. But so is, um, you, you have to give it to John Travolta, who busts out a great Robert Shapiro. And uh, Johnny Cochran looks and acts just like Johnny Cochran. Oh, and the little kid who played Kim Kardashian, perfect. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The gratuitous Kardashian. I know. Huh? I know. I mean, it's one thing to have them at the funeral, but to show them at home watching their dad on TV, Kardashian, Kardashian. Like, come on. Come we on. don't need that. That was a gratuitous scene. We know how to say your name. Unnecessary. Now. I know. We know who the fuck you are. So, yeah, um, the Car but David Schwimmer is Kardashian. He's doing a pretty good job, too. Well, Johnny Cochran. He's good. I don't know who that actor is, though. 
Mario Joyner. That's not Mario Joyner. You mean the Chris, the Chris Darden? Yeah, Chris Darden. I keep thinking Mario Joyner might have been a better casting than that guy. That guy's yeah. That guy's personality is not very big, but Chris Darden's wasn't either. He kind of sunk into the background during the trial, which was part of the problem. But what I love is that they're focusing on the lawyers. They're focusing on Marsha and how she was really toned down by her legal team, by, her, by the lead prosecutor, by Gil Garcetti. Yeah. Paired her up with a guy, who said, and he said to her, "You, uh, I'm pairing you up with so and so. He runs a little cooler than you do, basically saying he's not a, as bitchy as you are. But don't you want a fucking bitchy lawyer, a, a shark in there? Don't you want somebody who's going to be passionate about this? She was passionate about that case. She got watered down by Gil Garcetti. That was a, that was step one of this case falling apart." Step two was Shapiro coming in and manipulating things the way he did. And then step three, which we haven't watched yet, is really Cochran coming in and playing the whole race thing, which was already in the background. He brought it to the forefront. He basically makes the case for you need a a black man on this. You know, look at the the environment, the, the environment right now. The, the racial climate in this city. And he had had a history of showing wrongdoings by the LAPD on different cases. Yeah, Snoop Dogg out. Did he? I didn't know that. Well, afterwards, probably. Oh. Yeah. But, you know, he had a prominent black, mostly black, um, legal firm. But they had focused mostly on LAPD corruption. And um, excessive force and whatnot, you know. And it, it, this would had happened right after Rodney King, so the climate was still very charged, racially charged. He just grabbed onto that, you know. And in what he said tonight in this episode, you know, your loyalty is always to the client. It should never be about you. Your goal is to get that person off. That's a problem with our legal system. It's not to serve justice anymore is to get your client off. And that's sad because this person killed two people. You know, that person should not be allowed to walk. I don't understand. How, not, like, I was at work at Dodger Stadium during the whole car chase. They were watching it at Dodger Stadium when I was making hot dogs. Was the game going on? Yeah, the game was Did going they stop on. the game? No, they stopped the game. So you're watching it like... On different we're, monitors? We're hearing or, it. Okay. We're hearing it because they're, I guess, they're showing it on the, because instead of watching, because on, on our, t, they have a TV for the fans to watch while they're ordering food. Right. So won't, they won't miss the game. Right. That TV had the OJ chase. Really? So they were watching it from So people there. were coming out of the stands to watch that yeah. probably too. And there were no cell phones, so people weren't seeing like on Twitter that this is going on or anything. No, man. But watching the, watching it from the from this perspective, you know, as a guy watching the movie, I see, God damn, man! Like it's un, it can, it's, too, it's unbelievable that this guy got to roam around with the Ford Bronco for hours, and nobody apprehended him, yeah. nobody stopped him. He said we're gonna commit suicide, and now we now when I think about it, 
If it would have been anybody else, shoot yourself. We'll get you later. Yeah, yeah. Well, they would have. They would have shot the driver a long time ago. Well, first of all, double murder. What happened first was Shapiro <coughs> talked his way out of having to bring OJ in at eight a.m. or having them come get OJ at eight a.m. doing the perp walk in front of people, and he talked them into will he'll turn himself in at eleven a.m. So that he worked out with Gil Garcetti as well because Shapiro had worked with high-profile clients before. But um, there's this really good book that I've read a couple times. I just finished reading it again after 15 years, 10 years. It's called Another City, Not My Own. It's by Dominic Dunn. Dominic Dunn is the father of an actor named... Um, Griffin Dunn, who was in Around Midnight. He was in American Werewolf in London. He's the friend of David Naughton, the werewolf. Griffin Dunn? Griffin Dunn. He's in a lot of movies. He's been a director as well. He's in that movie, Who's That Girl with Madonna? He's the dude. The dude. But he's, uh, anyway, his daughter and Griffin's sister, Dominic's daughter, Dominique Dunn, she was really she was in a few things, but she, her biggest thing was she was the teenage daughter in Poltergeist, the first Poltergeist movie. Well, she was killed by her boyfriend when she was 21, 22. She was strangled. He beat her in their relationship. She kept going back to him. And then she broke it off completely, and he stalked her and killed her. And so he, Dominic Dunn, had been a a warrior for justice uh, because he only got two years in prison for killing his daughter. He claimed that he was wrestling with her, right? No. Uh, I don't really remember how he got off exactly. A lot of people agreed that that was a miscarriage of justice. And the guy... He was was rich? No, he wasn't rich. Um, He put on this show during his trial that he was like a born-again Christian and... You know, um, this wasn't like him. And also, they squashed other testimony from previous girlfriends that he had beaten. So they were trying to show a pattern of abuse that ended up in murder. And I think he got manslaughter in the end. And it only ended up uh, being a two-year sentence that he served. I think he got like five and ended up serving two. And um, Dominic was outraged at that. So he made it a point to... Um, try and not investigate, but write about trials from the perspective of the victims because he felt like there weren't enough um, focus. There wasn't enough focus on the victims when there was a trial like that, especially in high-profile cases. And he followed the Menendez brothers' trial and talked about them and talked about their parents. He, He kind of blew holes into a lot of their stories. He wrote for Vanity Fair during the OJ case. He sat in the audience of the courtroom every day, almost every day. There were a couple of days he was gone. Judge Ito put, who was specially chosen for this case, by the way, one, because he wasn't black or white. Two, um, he was up until that point had tried pretty boring cases. Nothing salacious, no outrageous My dad said Judge Ito sent him to jail for DUIs. 
I thought that was Marsha. Marsha Clark, too. Yeah, oh, they were both together. Yeah. Yeah, so Judge Ito placed Dominic, who was writing articles for Vanity Fair. He wrote um, letters from L.A. That's what he wrote, and it was all about the trial. And he wrote about stuff that got thrown, swept under the rug, evidence that wasn't allowed in the, in the jury room, finally, in the end. Um, he would write about dinners he had with certain people who said certain things about O.J. It was all O.J. And every time he came to Hollywood to sit back on the jury or go to a dinner or something, everybody wanted to talk to Dominic. And he talks about this, this woman who was Howard Weitzman. Howard Weitzman was the first attorney O.J. met with. And he was a person. Before he went to the airport? No, no, no. When he, he called them from Chicago and said, Nicole's been murdered. I'm coming back to L.A. on the first flight, right? They didn't hear about it in the news. It wasn't in the news yet. He said, I'm going to need some help handling the media when I get back. And he was like, all right, anything, O.J. He had helped O.J. get off after um, the 911 calls from Nicole for abuse, for domestic violence. And uh, so they knew each other, and they were, um, they were good friends. But they knew that he had beaten Nicole regularly. They already knew that. So she didn't like him. She, the wife didn't like him. And she tells him, um, I'm just going to go over there and tell him I'm sorry. This is all in the book. This is all in the book. I'm going to tell him I'm sorry. And uh, they get there, and Howard's going to go meet with OJ, too. He hasn't met with any attorneys yet. He's going uh, into the house. She gets out of the car, and she looks down at the driveway, and there's blood in the driveway. Damn. And she knew immediately that he had done it. He, he, there was driveway at his house? Driveway of his house. The next day? This night. is the next day. This is Monday. She was killed on a Sunday night. He went to Chicago on a Sunday night. You already seen it? The news already out? By the time the news got... was out, yeah. Okay. She said every news media outlet was there. They stepped out of the car. Howard went into the house. She's getting out of the car. Into the driveway, there's blood. And she knew he had done it. From, just from the blood, because she already knew he had beaten her before. And they had that history. And uh, they walk into the house. She says, I'm so sorry, OJ, and leaves, you know, because she just was kind of putting on a front. Howard went into this room with OJ. They talked about whatever, because client attorney privilege. And uh, three days later, he backs out of the case. And a lot of people think that, and he will never say whether this is true or not, but a lot of people think that OJ confessed to him. And he couldn't be a part of it. But anyway, that's a good book. Dun, 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 Another dun. good book is called If I Did It. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> we have that audible. I got the audio book for that. But the guy People, who reads it. This, <laughs> book, this is an audible book with OJ Rhodes, okay? Well, OJ wanted to write a book. After the murder, after the trial was over. I, I really didn't want it, though. <laughs> after the trial was over, he wanted to write a book. If I did it, this is how it would have gone down. Oh, my God. He wrote a book called If I Did It. I can't believe O.G. Simpson wrote a book called If I Did It. And he, he told this to somebody, and somebody wrote it if down. If I'd done it. But then, after it came out, I think his attorneys saw it and were like, what the fuck did you do? Oh, my God. He wrote a book called... So, they tried to pin it on the person who wrote the book for O.J. And the guy was like, I just wrote down what he said. I didn't make any of this shit up. Like, this is not a person, the person who wrote it down, 
you know, is not a person who would do that. Anyway, uh, like he had a, rep a strong reputation. Anyway, so uh, the audio book is great because the guy who reads the book is, he kind of sounds like OJ. A lot of these stories are insane. Insane. But the money from the book, uh, the Goldmans made such a stink about it. Goldmans and the Brown family um, made such a stink about it, him profiting off of that after the civil trial, when he lost the civil trial, that um, all the money from that book uh, ended up going to victims' rights organizations instead of in OJ's pocket. So if you buy it, it's not going to OJ. It goes to these victims' rights organizations. All of it? Yeah. So you don't, OJ don't get nothing. OJ gets nothing. And um, it was a part of the civil suit. You know, he can't profit from anything relating to this case. So, uh, but man, the stories in there, the way he talks about Nicole and puts her down throughout the book and makes himself seem like such a fucking model citizen. You know, how he gets out of every situation with the cops and, well, what is it, Nicole? Did I hit you or not? You know, and then she's standing there like, oh, you know, she's this weak woman who depends on him for money and she's no angel either. And she was pushing buttons. And, you know, at some point, there's a point where you got to stop pushing those buttons. But they had a weird relationship and he was her only boyfriend from the time she was 18. So she didn't know how to be in a relationship, you know. Doesn't deserve to be killed, but they weren't right for each other. They shouldn't have been together. I like that part in her book where, um, there is um, OJ's daughter um, recital. Yeah. And then um, they all go eat and they're going to invite OJ and then OJ stays. Wow. I really didn't want to go. Cause I, I didn't want to go anyway. I didn't want to go anyway. You know, I didn't <laughs> want to go with him. But you could tell that um, he was fuming, right? Of course. In, in this other is books, the day of the murder. It's the day of the murder. In other books, they say he was fuming. He was fuming. He also had blown up at a friend at a golf game earlier Man, that I know. I, I don't know any guy that shows up to see his daughter at a music recital and his his lady, his ex-baby mama, is wearing a badass dress. Short skirt. She had a mini skirt. Short on. skirt. That she shouldn't be wearing at church. <laughs> it wasn't church. Whatever. It was really a dance recital. A dance yeah. recital. Yeah, probably not a Showing off her yeah. pinchy nalgonas right there in front of everybody <laughs> for the whole world to see. And... They go all go to Sizzler after they're gonna invite your ass. Not even, <laughs> not even that. I'll be angry that they invite me to Sizzler. Of course. And not here, my, my my new hoochie. But earlier, was in the, it with a date? Uh, no. No. He went to see Paula. Oh man, my if I would visit my kids, music recital, they don't invite me to Sizzler after. I'd be angry. <laughs> but not just that. That wasn't the most embarrassing part for him. He wasn't invited to dinner, but during the recital. There was nowhere for him to sit. Oh, they didn't. Well, you're making me more angry. They didn't, they didn't save. They didn't save him a seat. Does you know how many chumbos child support I've been paying? <laughs> there's like there's people out there who don't pay child support. They they they, they deserve their seats. They save their seats for them. <laughs> See that all all that build up, man. It's like you're pushing buttons here, man. Yeah, I mean it is. And OJ she angry. Was, you know. OJ <laughs> angry right now. OJ angry. But, you know, she knew what she was OG doing. OJ might do bad things. These are sneaky tricks, you know, not just women play. Yeah, women pull. Not man, just women bitches. play. I know you're going to say that. Not just women do those things. But, you know, again. Guys pull them too, man. Guys pull them too. But it goes back to the fact they just weren't good for each other. They no. shouldn't have been parents. They shouldn't have been together. They're not healthy together. 
Um, but I would not have pushed like that. Um, not that she deserves what she got. I'm just saying that all this was leading up to uh, what happened. And it's horrible. And he just snapped. And I think he didn't mean to kill her. And Ron was collateral damage. Pretty much ignored in the case and in the media. He hasn't been mentioned once in the movie. Not yet. Mm-mm. Not once. Not yet. And the, the they killed story. Two people, and it was Nicole Brown Simpson, but and then, yeah, and other guy. Ron Gold. <laughs> Right now, they're treating yeah. him like the first season of um, Gilligan's Island. And the rest. <laughs> yeah. Right back in the hear the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson and another guy <laughs> who was there. He was one of the victims, too. <laughs> oh, I'm going to hell for laughing at that. But that's funny. Yeah, man. But yeah, that's. No, yeah, man's on this podcast. So you raised the yeah, man. Um. He, yeah, so it's tough. Um, it's a tough case to look at. It's very I, sad. I can't believe it. You guys are watching this, listen to the podcast. You got to watch an FX. It's on FX called The People versus O.J. Simpson. And it's mostly, it's mostly focused on the lawyers. You know, everybody knows the case already. Everybody knows the chase. They know all that. This is mostly focused on the behind the scenes. But you can really see how this case was won and lost, you know. On each side. You can see the, the mechanics of it all. Mechanics. And, um, and it's all pretty much true to what the way things were happening in the couple of inside, behind-the-scenes books that I've read about it. But uh, She is an OJ expert. I'm people. not an OJ expert. But this is the way I get into Scientology and stuff, too, and, and subcultures like that. It's, this is the same thing because this was such a crucial case, not just for the judicial system. This case... This case kicked off the 24-hour news network, CNN, having to have content 24 hours. Put Court TV on the map. Court TV, which is now True TV. Harvey Levin and TMZ wouldn't exist without all this. The fucking Kardashians wouldn't exist without all this. You know? Kardashian and Hollywood, that's why she got so much attention when she made that sex tape started hanging around with the Hilton sisters and stuff like that. That's why, I mean, she's pretty, but a pretty, there are a lot of pretty faces out there who aren't famous, you know? It wasn't just the porno tape, but it was the last name, huh? It was the last name and the porno tape. Because they put the, her, and, her and OJ together. Mm-hmm. People put it together. Oh, my God. That's Robert Kardashian's daughter. Oh, my God. You mean the one, the guy who was on the OJ case? So it's yeah. all over the news now. Yeah. So then the news starts talking about it. And remember that little video I showed you years ago where she was a kid at a party? Yeah. And she was like talking to the camera. And I'm going to be famous no matter what. No matter what it takes. She's like 11, you know. I'm going to be famous, rich and famous. That was her thought at 11 years old. (laughs) And she did it. I'm I'm going to invent Instagram. (laughs) I'm going to kill. I'm going to break the internet with my ass. Yeah, well, I love that show, man. It's good. I just can't get into Cuba as uh, OJ. It's not doing it for me. There's so many other people who could have done it. You know, who could have played him, but whatever. But the guy, AJ, AJ Jamal, what's his name? Malcolm Jamal Warner. He plays Malcolm Jamal Warner. AC Cowlings. He's a good AC Cowling. Cowlings. Cowlings. 
He's a good AC Khaled. He does. He has a big fat neck. Yeah. But yeah, it shows uh, he was just such a a kiss ass for OJ. He would have done anything. See, OJ had a lot of people in his life who would have done anything, including Cato. Cato didn't know what the fuck was going on. Just like drugs, free house, whatever. I'll do it, whatever it takes, you know. He, he was a mooch. And then AC, willing to die in that car, you know, that Bronco for him. Willing to take him, you know, he's harboring a fugitive. Did he get any sort of uh, trouble? Did he get in any trouble for that? Did he get arrested? I don't know. I don't know. That should be, he should be arrested for that. That's the homie for life. <laughs> Man. Anyway, that's all I got to say today. All right. Want you anything else? Put it in your What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> The end. The end, people. Please subscribe to Enchilada Casserole on iTunes. We're on iTunes now, Stitcher, and almost every podcast app there is out there. So just search for us. If we're not out there, tweet to Funny Felipe and let us know, and we'll submit it. Please Please. subscribe. But please subscribe. Rate it. Rate Uh, it. We've been on the charts all week with one. Thank you so much. With one episode. One episode. Which is unheard of. Unheard of. We've we're been in 107. The top, yeah, we were like, I think the highest we got was like 100 something, 107. And then we've been like 130, 150, 160, 170. 187. 180 something. But, you know, we're in the top 200. We're in the top 200 and it's because of you guys. And so tell your friends, <laughs> tell your girlfriends, wives <laughs> to subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment. Leave a comment. Give it a few stars or whatever. A few stars. Share. Go to the www. I don't even know why I say it. Now. <laughs> Go to felipesworld.com. I don't have them up there. You know, I have to make a, a separate page for that. I wonder why. Go to my. No, I do. Go I to do. my shows. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Felipe's dates coming up um, February 20th, Los Angeles at Club Nokia. The 9.30 show is sold out. But there are still tickets left for the 7 p.m. show. But don't wait too long. There's only a week left. And about last week, we were about half sold. That room was half sold for the 7 o'clock. So they're probably three-quarters sold by now. So be hurry and hurry and get your tickets. Try to get your tickets through the Nokia. Don't go, go through. To, yeah, go to no. AXS.com or AXS. the, link, the link on Felipe'sWorld.com slash tour because that will take you to the access link, AXS link. That'll take you to the button there. And they're under $20. There's some fees in there, but they're under $20, the base price. If you go to StubHub, they're going to be like $40 to $70. Yes. Some of them were like 100 It's crazy. Don't pay that. Yeah. We made sure to keep them at a reasonable rate. So uh, that's the 20th of February, 7 p.m., still available. And then after that, 25th through the 28th of February at Hilarities in Cleveland. I wonder if it's going to be cold it's February in Cleveland, probably. It'll yeah. be right, right by the water. And then uh, March 3rd through the 6th at Irvine Improv. We might, if all works out, we might be shooting your special there during those shows, probably the Saturday shows. Not 100% sure yet. We still have to work out details, but I really want to get this special shot. It's not as easy as it sounds to get the wheels in motion. All the um, show dates and ticket links and info... 
That's all at felipesworld.com slash tour. Yes, it is. 